So I take it this one's not working? Okay, we'll move that one out of the road. If you've got your Bibles there, would you like to turn with me please to Micah chapter 5? I'm going to read to you uh, verses 1 through to 5, or the first part of verse 5. Uh, if you're not sure where Micah is, if you go to the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew's Gospel, and come back seven books, you'll, uh, you'll find Micah there in the midst of the, uh, the minor prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days." Therefore he shall give them up until that he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, and then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is God's word to us today. Thanks be to God. Well, Christmas is just around the corner. In fact, I think it's only uh, less than, or oh, it's around about two weeks, two weeks on Tuesday. Is that right? Who's keeping count? I know, I know a few of you are keeping count. You're crossing off the calendar all the time, aren't you? Day by day. Christmas is just around the corner. And of course, as we turn our, our gaze, our focus, if you like, to the, to the miracle of Christmas to the miracle of the incarnation when God himself stepped out of heaven. That, in, that alone should blow our minds, that God himself stepped out of heaven and came to earth in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Over the next five weeks, we're going to take time to reflect on Jesus, to view this baby whose birth we remember and celebrate at this time of the year to, to reflect on, uh, in light of his true identity, to see from Scripture the wonderful truths about his majesty and his glory, to see that his birth was foretold centuries beforehand, to wonder at the fact that he is indeed God in human flesh, to be reminded that he is the redeeming, rescuing Son of God that he is the preeminent one and that he is the one who will eternally reign over all. Over these next five weeks, we want to reflect on Jesus because the, the purpose is to remind us again, remind us in our, in our minds and in our hearts that Jesus is the one and the only one who deserves all of our praise and all of our adoration and all of our devotion. Not just at Christmas, but every day of the year and today we're going to begin with Jesus the promised one 
So if you're taking notes, you might like to, uh, to jot down this morning. You might have got a, note, uh, a set of notes this morning. You might like to jot down, first of all, the big idea of the message. And it's this, that Jesus is God's promised, powerful ruler and king. And the little subpoints under that, he is a king with surprising origins. That he is a king with a mission and that he is the kind of king that we really need. So as we uh, open up that, we're going to start with the first point this morning. So hopefully this is going to be really easy for you to, uh, to follow along with, that Jesus is a king with surprising origins. And we see that in verses 1 to, and 2 of our passage this morning. You know, at the time that Micah gave this particular prophecy, some 700 or so years before Christ was born, the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah, was facing oblivion. Uh, the, the, king, the, the kingdom of Israel had been divided into uh, to two kingdoms at the end of, of Solomon's reign, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel had a, had a lot of kings after Solomon, but they were all evil kings, every single one of them. And uh, God had brought prophets to them announcing that, his, that you know, his coming judgment if they didn't change their ways. And then there was the, little, the, the tinier kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, whose capital was Jerusalem. And they had some good kings and some not so good kings. And again, God had sent prophets to them announcing that if they didn't change their ways, if they didn't keep God's covenant, then God would bring judgment on them as well. The northern kingdom of Israel was at this particular point in time in Micah's day in the process of being annihilated by the powerful Assyrian uh, nation at that time. They were the big military power of the day. They were being annihilated annihilated, and it would be something from which the kingdom would not recover. The, the northern kingdom of Israel would go into exile and that would be the end. That would be the end of, of them for good. But the Assyrians, not only did they attack the northern kingdom, but they also had pillaged Judah, the southern kingdom, and had made it what's called a vassal state. In other words, the kingdom of Judah, the king of Judah, really didn't have any power of his own. He was kind of like a, a bit of a puppet of the Assyrian king. And within 120 years of Assyria coming, Judah itself and its capital, Jerusalem, would be decimated by the next major military power of the day, which would be Babylon. And many people then from Judah would be taken into exile, and that exile would last 70 years. So here at the beginning we see, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops, for siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. It's talking about you know, the, this kingdom being subjected to these, these effects of these military powers coming in and attacking them. The people were in a real mess. But Micah knew that this was indeed all part of God's judgment on his people. And the reason that God was judging is that they had continually broken the covenant that God had made with them. The political leaders of the day, the kings and the rulers, they were, they were greedy and they were corrupt. And they were leading the, the nation astray from, from God and from his ways. The religious leaders themselves weren't much better. They themselves were really just in it for what they could get out of it. The rich were getting richer at the expense of the poor. And the people had virtually turned away from God and were worshipping false gods and all sorts of other things. But God in his mercy for, 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 for years and years, for decades, had been saying to the people, he'd been continually warning them that through his prophets that they needed to turn back to God. 
prophets like Micah and his other contemporaries of his day, um, Isaiah, Hosea and Amos. But they'd not listened. They'd not listened and now judgment had come. And the question that many people were wondering was this. Had God written off his people? Had God forgotten about his people? Because they'd been so sinful, had God now washed his hands of his people? Had they exhausted God's patience and forgiveness? So it's in the midst of that kind of scenario that Micah speaks these words in verse 2. He says, when the, 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 you know, the time where the nation is, is on the brink of oblivion, God offers the people hope in this particular prophecy that he would himself raise up a deliverer, a new ruler and a new king. We see that in verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from of ancient, from ancient days. Here was the hope in the midst of darkness. And even though the people had rejected God in all kinds of ways, God had not rejected them. God had not rejected them. He would remain true to his promises. And God is always true to his promises. And this is what we as God's people today also need to cling on to. You know, back in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 to 16, God had promised this to his servant David, King David. He said, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Talking about Solomon there, by the way. But then he says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from, from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That last verse, 16, speaks of this new king, this king that God is going to raise up. God knew that Solomon would fail. In fact, God knew that all the kings of Israel would fail. But God had made a promise to David that I will raise up someone from an ancestor of yours who will actually come and will be a king unlike any other king that this world has ever seen. And his kingdom, his throne will reign forever and ever. And it will be an everlasting kingdom. Of course, as we come to you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, you know, the history of Israel, we see that, that eventually this, this kingdom, this, this kingdom of man did fail. It failed abysmally, and that's why God is bringing judgment against. But God says, but there is going to come a new king. And he would come from the most unlikely place, a little town called Bethlehem. I don't know if Dale would appreciate the Tent Hill analogy there, but I know where you're coming from, Glenn. <laughs> Bethlehem and as Glenn mentioned to us in the uh, in the children's story there he had you know God had to specifically identify the town Bethlehem Ephrathah because that was then there was a couple of Bethlehems in, in and around Israel and so it had to be identified as the as the proper Bethlehem where Jesus would be born 
And Bethlehem was small, it was obscure, it was this little rural village. It was a town that had, it was completely inconsequential in the big scheme of things. Of course, that was until God stepped in. Of course, the natural place to look for a deliverer would have been Jerusalem or one of the other major cities of the day. But God's ways are different. God's ways are different to man's ways and thinking. God works in unexpected ways. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, verses 8 to 9. He says, For my thoughts, the speaking of God, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. No one could have thought up in their own minds the kind of rescue plan that God had for his people. No matter how clever they may have been, no one could ever have thought up the way that God had intended to bring about his eternal kingdom. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 29, the Apostle Paul says something the same. He says, but God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in this world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That should bring great comfort to all of us. Because when it comes down to it, you know, Gemma was sharing this morning about, you know, about that, that message that Pastor Greg spoke about. You know, in the world's eyes, not many of us really, you know, are, are anything special in the, world, in, in, in the world's eyes, are we? I'm pretty sure many of us think that, you know, there are, you know, there are things which we, uh, you know, we fall way short of in terms of the world's expectations. But God says, that sort of stuff is not important to me. You are important to me. And someone who submits to God and puts themselves in the hands of God, who surrenders to him and to his ways, he can do incredibly amazing things with their life. We see it all through scripture. You know, some of the stories of people here in this place have seen God work incredibly, incredibly powerfully in their lives, using them beyond any kind of measure that they could ever hope to imagine. God says, put yourself in my hands. And the world may see you as foolish, the world may see you as being you know, lowly and despised, but they're the kind of people God seeks to use. Because in that, it's God who gets the glory, not mankind. God works in unexpected ways and through unexpected people. And Jesus is an incredible you know, example of the way in which God has completely turned the world's ideas on their heads. Today, people will think that the only way that they can, they can get to God is through their own kind of achievements, through their own kind of striving, their own kind of accomplishments and things like that. But God says, you know, all your righteous works are but filthy rags. We can never, ever measure up. But God sent Jesus to come and die for our sins. 
to make, to, to make up the gap between us and God so that we can be accepted into his family and become his chosen possession of people for his own honour and glory. And that, is, that also should blow our minds this morning, that God would seek you and I to be that object of his treasured possession. He would come, this king would come from the most unlikely place, Bethlehem. And of course, this king that God promised was in fact Jesus. We see that in Matthew chapter 2, verses, verses 1 to 6, where uh, the wise men come to the kingdom of, of, of Judah. These wise men, they hear, they know that, they, that there is a king that has been born. And we read in, in Matthew 2, one, verses 1 to 6, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, of Judea and the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king, king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will be shepherd over my people Israel. People knew of this prophecy. They, and, and Jesus was born. This particular prophecy was assigned immediately to him, that he was this king who God was prom- had promised, who was raising up. So he is this promised king, but how is Jesus going to be this king? We see in our next point that Jesus is a king with a mission. Notice that God says in verse 2 that that, uh, he says, For from you shall come forth for me. From you shall come forth for me. This particular king would have God's purposes as his main priority. We see that in the words of Jesus in in, in John chapter 4 and verse 34 where he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That which nourishes me, that which energizes me, that which which feeds me is, is, is to do the will of God who sent me and to accomplish his work. And the mission was about saving more than a kingdom. It was a mission about saving more than a way of life. It was about the saving of men's souls, of defeating the power of sin and death, of reconciling men to God. You know, in Micah's day, the people saw their biggest problem being the enemy from without. The Assyrian people, the Babylonian people, they saw that as their main enemy, that as their main issue, their main need to be rescued from. But God said instead that their need was indeed, their biggest need was from the enemy within, and that is the sin that was in their own hearts and the damage that was causing in their lives and in the nation. And God knows that sin sin leads to death and eternal separation from God. And God said that is the issue that needs to be addressed first and foremost. 
And so at his first coming some 2,000 years ago, we, we see that God was ushering in, in the person of Jesus, the beginning of the fulfillment of this particular promise here in, in verse 2 of Micah chapter 5, that he would come certainly as a king, but initially he would come as a saviour. He would come as God's saviour. Luke chapter 2 verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord. By the way, that term Christ means God anoint, God's anointed one, God's chosen one, God's promised deliverer and, and saviour and king. The, the, the angels announced it to the shepherds and said, Unto you this day is born in the city of David a saviour. Jesus came first as saviour, and he needed to come first as saviour. He needed to come to open up the way for us to be reconciled to God and to be able to wel- be welcomed into this new kingdom which this ruler, this king, would be king over. He came to assure us that in Christ all of God's promises would be fulfilled. Romans 15 verses 8 to 9 says this, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that is to the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. God was going to use this Jewish man, this person in in, in his son Jesus Christ, he was going to use him to come to die on a cross so that men, both Jew and Gentile alike, could be reconciled to God. That's good news for us, folks because we're outside of the Jewish people. You know, initially the, the Jewish people thought all the promises of God were for them and for them alone. But if we take our minds right the way back to Genesis chapter 3, we see that God says that he will raise up one who will be through whom you know, every person in the world will be blessed. We see it through again in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15. We see it continually repeated through Scripture. That Jesus is the one through whom God was going to save all of mankind. And it is through Jesus that that the the promises that God gave are confirmed. We see that in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. As we we sit here, we live in in this... you know, in our own kind of context today, in our own situation today, and we look at the promises that God has given through Scripture, and we wonder, you know, can we, can we count on those, pro- those promises? Are those promises really true? Can God be trusted? Can he be counted on? The fact that Jesus came, the fact that he was born, the fact that he lived his life, he died, he rose again, the fact that Jesus came from God is, you know, assures us that every single one of those promises to us are guaranteed. Every single one of them. He came first as saviour. But he will come again in the future when God brings all of history to a close and he will come that day as ruler and as judge. We see that hinted at in verse 3. It says, Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labour has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. That verse there is just speaking of the fact that, you know, that God is just basically just working to his, times, to his time frame. And eventually there's going to come a point where, you know, all those who have, who have trusted in Christ will be all gathered together around his throne, will be welcomed into his kingdom and be, be his people forever and ever. 
So he's a king with a mission. And lastly, he's the kind of king that we need. And we see that in verses 4 and 5. Micah says that this king will shepherd his people. And Jesus is the great shepherd who cares for his sheep. Psalm 23, many of us are familiar with that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. John chapter 10, Jesus himself refers to, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd, the one who will lay down his life for the sheep. He's the one who leads his sheep. He's the one who protects his sheep. He's the one who feeds his sheep. He's the one who watches over his sheep. And it says that he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, meaning that what he sets out to do, he will accomplish. Nothing can prevent Jesus from fulfilling his promises and purposes. And because of that, it means that his people can dwell securely. Not like the people of Micah's day who had no security whatsoever. We ourselves, even in the midst of our, in our own society today, can have security of knowing that we belong to him. We belong to the eternal king, the one who is going to reign forever and ever, and we were a part of his kingdom. Of course, Revelation 21.3 speaks of that day where it says, And I heard a loud voice from, throne, from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. His greatness shall extend to the ends of the earth. All people will be subject to him. Philippians 2, 10 to 11 says, For at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, in our world today, we've got people who are trying to build their own kingdoms. We've got nations trying to dominate for power and that sort of thing in our world today. We've got people operating on their own time frames, their own agendas and that sort of stuff. But if you go cast your mind back to, 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 to Psalm 2, it says, you know, why do the nations and the kings plot in vain against the Lord and against his anointed one? It says, the Lord looks down from heaven and he laughs. There's much in our world today which can cause us incredible anxiety and uncertainty and insecurity. Even in our own country today, when we speak, think about you know, these, these laws that are being debated about in Parliament and all these sorts of things, laws that will impact directly upon us as followers of Christ. And we wonder what on earth is going to happen? What on earth is going on? What is, going to be, what is to become of us? What is to become of God and his church here? Even in our own country, God says, my king is established on his throne. And all the nations can plot as much as they like, but ultimately it will be God who will decide. And it will be God who will reign forever and ever and ever. And that, folks, should then bring us an incredible peace. This is what God says at the end, and he shall be their peace. He's the kind of king we need. 
Micah chapter 4, verses 1 to 4 says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths." For out of Zion shall, shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and he shall decide for strong nations far away and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But instead they shall sit, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken and speaking of that day that peace that confidence that comfort that assurance that we have as the people of God he shall be their peace and the reason he can be our peace is the fact that he first and foremost brings us peace with God because that is the greatest peace that we need today folks it is peace with God to know that our sins are paid for that our sins are forgiven to know that we to know that we are accepted by God, that we are free from condemnation. And that's a peace that only Jesus can bring into our hearts and into our lives. Micah speaks of that peace in, verses, in chapter 7, verses 18 to 19. The Apostle Paul speaks about it in Romans 5, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, he says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and through him, through Jesus. We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Jesus is our peace. So, you know, in our world today of uncertainty, where we will experience hardship and confusion, where we'll experience disillusionment, where our leaders will fail us, where we will fail, where evil seems to prosper and we might wonder where God is. Can I draw us afresh this morning to this prophecy of Micah to bring us hope that God's purposes never fail, that indeed that he will raise up a ruler whose coming forth is from, is from, from, from of old, from ancient days, from eternity past, that he is, God has revealed that ruler in the person of Jesus Christ who came first as saviour but who will one day return as king where he will set all things right, where he will indeed usher in his eternal kingdom of everlasting peace, a kingdom in which he will shepherd his people forever and ever. He alone is our hope. He alone is our peace. Is he yours is he your saviour? Is he your king? Most of all, is he the one that you glory in today? Let's pray. Pray if the stewards would like to come forward to the communion table, please. Lord Jesus, Help us to come this morning and bow before you as king. For this is the reality that you are indeed exalted above all. God has exalted you 
to the highest place. And there is coming a day where every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May we heed those words as God intended for the people of Micah's day to heed the words of Micah. To be reconciled to you now before it's too late. Lord, to put our hope and our trust in you as our God, as the only God, and in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is your appointed King. Help us to surrender our lives to you afresh today. Help us to admit our sin, to confess it before you, and work in our hearts so that the desire of our hearts would be to turn away from that and instead turn towards you and follow you and be yours and to have that joy and that hope and that peace in Jesus Christ, which only he is able to give. And may we go from this place after this morning when we finish our service, may we go from this place exalting in that but also being willing to be used by you just as the prophet Micah was in proclaiming that good news to the world around about us, that Jesus is indeed the King, the coming King. Amen. As we come around the communion table this morning, we are going to conclude our time just reflecting afresh on on the kind of king that Jesus is.